Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to <laughs> our, <laughs> our now, now I know how Smurf now I know how Smurfette now I know how Smurfette felt. <laughs> one female Smurf and all the men never <laughs> Welcome to the <clears throat> welcome to the integrity leadership call. Glad to have everyone on this evening. We are about to get started. The book that we have, first of all, uh, normally, Mr. Antonio T. Smith Jr. is the trainer for this call, but he and Deanna had a major meeting, and myself and one half of the humor consultants, Mr. Bill Sorrentino, will be your trainers for this evening. We are really going to be facilitators this evening. You know, we, we know how to teach, but we are better facilitators because that means everyone gets to participate, and we just don't sit here and do all the talking. In the right, Mr. Phil. <laughs> yes, treat us treat us like you treat any substitute teacher. <laughs> oh goodness! Okay, <laughs> so the book that we are in is called "The Code of the Extraordinary Mind" by Vishen Lakiani. That's how you spell his name. I want to make sure you look at that so you see that to get the correct spelling. But I'm pretty sure if you go to Amazon, YouTube, or anything like that, and type in the name of this book, they will definitely have his name there. For you, uh, we've also sent the link to the audio book that is in YouTube. So we are going to get started. We are on chapter four. Chapter four. The title of chapter four is "Rewrite Your Models of Reality," and this is this chapter is a doozy. I know Antonio started on it last week, and so we are continuing to go over it uh, on this week. And as it begins, it says where we. Rewrite your models of reality where we learn to choose, oh, sorry, where we learn to choose and upgrade our beliefs. Okay, so beliefs is a very big part of this chapter and already the, the title alone can, you know, get your wheels turning, rewrite your models of reality. So there are several lessons in this chapter. The first lesson says our models of reality lie below the surface. Often we do not realize we have them until some intervention or co contemplative practice makes us aware. So uh, Antonio showed us a picture last week where you have what you believe. That's, it's two things that are in your head, what you believe and what you don't know you believe. And what you believe is, well, I'm sorry, what you know you believe and what you don't know you believe. And with the picture, what you know you believe is a lot smaller than what you don't know what you believe. And so that's why I was saying, you know, it, it, it lies below the surface. And also we don't realize we have these beliefs until something happens that makes us aware that we do have these beliefs. And he's like, whoa, okay, I didn't, didn't know that was there. You know, um, since our models of reality are often unknown to us. Some models we have, we know that we have. For example, I know I believe in the importance of having a calling. That's what it was saying. And it says, in the power of gratitude and in being kind to the people I work with. This is what the author, Vision Lachiani, was saying. But we also have models of reality embedded deep within that we're mostly unaware of. What you know you believe is much smaller than what you don't know you believe. So I wanted to uh, kind of expound on that and 
you know the things that you believe, but then there's some things that come up and you, have you ever thought about, you say, whoa, I didn't know I believed that. But then something happened and it made you more aware of, huh, I do believe that. And, you know, it, you really didn't realize it. Anybody, any, any thoughts on that? Well, Robin Williams said, reality, what an interesting concept. You know, so it, it's what your perception is, is what you manifest. And Esther and Jerry Hicks talks about a belief is a thought you just keep thinking. That's right. So that's where your beliefs that come right. from. And we've, right. I've said this before, we're moving from the age of belief, uh, Pisces means I believe, into the age of Aquarius, or I know. Jesus was the fisher of men, Pisces rules of feet. Mark 9, 23 tells us all things are possible to him to believe it. Well, now we're moving into know. Aquarius is I know. We know what Christ told us was true. Now it's a question, are we going to apply it to our lives? And in Joel, one of the last books of the Old Testament, and in Acts, one of the first books of the New Testament says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all men. Young men shall dream dreams. Old men shall see visions. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And now it's a question of, we know a lot of these things are true, where we just maybe believe them. Now we know, now it's a question, are we going to use them and, and, and implement them and make them part of our lives to make our world better and make the people around this world better? That is it, Mr. Phil. Okay. I especially like when you talked about what Abraham Hicks said, a thought, uh, a belief is a thought that we keep on thinking. <laughs> if you continue to think the same thing, pretty soon it turns to it turns into a belief. Yeah, we have somebody on the call that I, I believe deals with this a lot. Kiera, can you give us some insight into how you help people recognize their beliefs and then how you help them change their beliefs for the betterment of themselves? can you repeat it i missed that piece <laughs> well I, I perceive i perceive right or wrong that you have part of your job is to help people define first of all what their beliefs are and then help them adjust their beliefs to have a better belief so it serves them as opposed to disserves them absolutely we call it core belief system um and that's Talk based about on it. That's based off basically when you're born, you're giving your name, you're given, you know, most likely your religious beliefs, you're given your environmental circumstances. So if you grow up with abusive parents or you grew up with parents who are filthy rich and they spoil you, you take in these cognitions that you formulate your beliefs about the world and the beliefs about yourself. So for those who don't have a balance with that, when they get older and they start having destructive thoughts or destructive behaviors or aren't able to cope in their life, we have to disrupt those core beliefs and we have to create new ones based off what is most appropriate for them at that time. What are some of the techniques you use to do that? Cognitive behavioral therapy, which is where we teach that the thoughts that you think influence how you feel and affect how you behave. So if you wanna change the behavior and you want to alter your feelings, you must replace those negative thought patterns, those negative thought beliefs with the appropriate ones that is gonna give you the results that you would like. And that's a learned skill. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I'm thinking about, you know, first of all, I was the third child from my biological mother by the time she was 18 by three different guys. So the chances are I wasn't wanted in the womb. That would be fair to say. Then I was left by myself for 20 days until I got adopted. 
And then when I got adopted, when I was two years old, I had a sister that was three and a half years older than me died. And then after that, I had my adopted father die. And then after that, I had my adopted mother get into alcohol and suicide attempts. So you can see how my belief pattern was started to be constructed that, you know, things that are close to me are going to go away. And I, and I did subconsciously, I developed abandonment issues. But then I realized early on that, you know, I can be in a real situation, but I can change how I think and it can change my environment and my situation because that's how I survived. Because I had all these negatives in my life. And if I were to let them work on me and be a burden to me, then I would still be there. But I learned that, wait a minute, I can still react in a positive way no matter what was going on in my life. And that's something I didn't consciously learn. It's something I learned just to survive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm teaching kids now um, on the evidence-based practice is CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy, which I was just explaining. That's backed up by research that it actually works for the brain to alter the emotions and to help assist you with making or um, doing better behaviors. But I apply the law of manifestation um, and things like the power of the subconscious mind, like the things that we learn, I put them together. So young kids are able to understand they can manifest their futures now, getting it a lot earlier now, even though they have some traumas and they have some things going on, getting them in the rotation of that type of thinking that although this is my circumstance, I don't have to stay in this and this is not what it's going to be later on. And how do you get them to do that? Do you have um, flashcards? Do they write things down? Is there, is there a dream vision board? Um, I first see, I first get into their eyes. I try to see what they are seeing. Um, and then I make it my own. And based off where their ability to process is, I use what we call reframes or enactments, which is where I take something in the world that they're familiar with and I put it in the context where they can see it in a different way. So whatever they're thinking or whatever they like or whatever's not beneficial to them, I have to use something else and like care. <coughs> Excuse me. Continue. No, I was, I was pretty much done just saying, you um, know, meeting them where they are, where they can understand. Of course, it's gonna be different for a five-year-old versus a 15-year-old versus a 20-year-old on what they can understand. Yeah, but that's fascinating for you learning that to adjust and deal with all those different age groups. Absolutely. It's fun the younger they are because it becomes their superpower. Yeah. <laughs> they, they see it as their superpower. Oh, yeah. They learn energy and they learn these different feelings. And when you're younger, you're more optimistic and open and vulnerable to these things. So when they see it working, yeah. you know, it impacts them. I try to tell adults, you know, that children have adult feelings. So we can also teach them adult mannerisms that are appropriate, that is gonna give them um, you know, a positive longevity future um, with the things that they truly need to, to manifest for themselves. So it's, it's, it's working out so far. Wayne Dyer says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah, yeah. Kiara, does it take high school kids a little longer? Then it does, like your, let's say your elementary or your middle school age kids. Um, it depends for any child what what the actual situation. Adult adults are the worst. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can believe that. Yeah, the adults is just oh my god. But um, yeah, yeah I, I, it depends. It it really depends. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sierra, for that insight. If anybody um, else got something they'd like to contribute in this entire, and this is lesson one, our models of reality lie below the surface. Often we mm -hmm. do not realize we have them until some intervention or contemplative practice makes us aware. All right, we can go to lesson number okay. two. Grace, take All it away. Right. You're a much That's better good. reader than I am. <laughs> not a problem, not a problem. Um, and just want to reiterate again what Kier was saying, uh, the author of the book Vision was saying, you know, where does this belief of I am not enough and other limiting models of reality come from? Because for most of us, they come from our childhood. And so you got to ask yourself, who, who taught you that? You know, because you didn't come here, you know, thinking those things, you had to be taught those things. So you have to really go back and really reflect. Why is it that I believe this? Did somebody teach me to believe this? You know, so you want to go back and reflect on those things. Um, there was a story in here where when Vision was growing up, he's, uh, he's uh, from India. And so he was saying he was with the school that he went to when he was a kid, he was uh, darker complected, um, had, a, had a big nose and as he grew up, you know, you know, kids would make fun of him. He said he was uh, had a lot of hair on his body, and so even they made fun of him. Of course, you know, kids called him names, and so he felt awkward. And then as he grew up and went to a different school uh, with kids that are kind, were kind of like him, but not so much, you know, you know. Then he said, as he began began to become a teenager, acne. You know, he broke out with a lot of acne and things like that. And so there goes, you know, another name that they gave him, you know calling him names and things like that. And say it wasn't until one day in college he was at a dance because he always felt awkward growing up because of what happened during his childhood. So he said he always had crushes on girls in school, but he didn't think, he thought that they were out of his league. And he said he was at a college, uh, a dance, and he had one too many beers. <laughs> he said, I knew this because I was dancing with the prettiest girl <laughs> at the dance at school or whatever because I, I had the courage to do that. And then he said one day he just called up, you know, one time at the dance while he was dancing with her, he just called up and kissed her. And then he realized what he was doing. He said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. And she was like, are you kidding? You're hot. And so she kissed him back. And so that changed his perception of himself. And um, he said, if Mary, the prettiest girl in the room, thought I was hot, maybe I wasn't so unattractive. And maybe other women could think so, too. That single realization ended my belief that I was invisible to women. So, like Mr. Phil was saying it's all about your perception. All right. So lesson number two, we often carry disempowering models of reality that we inherited as far back as childhood. Now I know somebody has something to talk about here. Um, part of it here, he was saying he had a teacher as a teenager named Mr. John. And Mr. John was a great teacher, he said. He said, but while everybody in class liked him, we all felt sorry for him. He was, he was always seen lonely, and we knew his wife had left him. We knew he lived in a small apartment and didn't have much money, but we loved him. We spent a lot of time talking about what a great guy he was. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And what a shame it was that he was in that situation. And he said, can you see a thought pattern that you may have developed from this moment? Uh, Some lady named Marissa asked. He said he realized that the brule uh, and for those of you, if you're new to this call, Brule, uh, as Vision Lakiani puts it in his book, stands for bullshit rules. Okay, so he said the Brule that he had internalized in his brain was to be a great teacher, you have to suffer. And okay, that was the Brule that he internalized. <laughs> okay, and like he said, from childhood, because he saw that he saw that his teacher felt, you know, looked was always lonely, and his wife had left him. He thought, okay, if you want to be a teacher, you got to suffer like that. And that was a rule that was internalized in his head. Now, how many of us have a rule that's in our head that's similar to that? You know, and so, you know, she, she Marissa kept asking him, okay, don't stop there. Tell me some more rules about, you know, what, what you have internalized in your, in your mind. And he said one day he saw himself in the backseat of his parents' car, and it was his birthday. And he said he was about 9 or 10. And he says his parents were driving him to the store to get a birthday gift. And mom was telling, he was pretending to be sweet, but he could hear them talking uh, in a worried way about money. And so when he went into the store, mom said, go ahead and get what you want. You know, it's your birthday. So he picked out one item. You know, he picked out a book. And mom asked him, is that all you want? Go ahead, it's your birthday. So then he picked out a hockey stick. And she kept telling him, it's your birthday. You can have more. But he didn't want to burden his parents with any more expenses because in his head, he had don't ask for too much because someone will get hurt if you do. So there are a lot of things, you know, that from childhood that will stand out. So I know some of us have some things that we internalize from growing up. And I'm going to stop talking right now. <laughs> so if anybody wanted to share some of the things that you may have internalized as, as a kid growing up in your childhood. Um, can I go, Grace? Yes, ma'am. Come on, Coach E. <laughs> so um, for a long time, well, it seemed like a long time when you're a kid, right? Everything seems like forever. Um, I went away from living with my mother and I lived with some other family members and they weren't really that nice. And they would always tell me that my teeth were so big and, you, should, you know, basically don't smile because you look like a horse and all of that. I mean, I, I literally heard it every day. So I found myself among my peers being very serious, very like looking very mean and just never smiling until uh, I think it was my best friend who's still my best friend to this day. He said to me, he was like, he's like, why don't you ever smile? 
And I never really thought about it. I was like, I don't know. But then when I when I look back, I'm like, because I was told so many times that when I smile, I look like a horse. You know, I look like <laughs> they used to call me Bugs Bunny because my two my two front teeth were really big. And so I felt like if I hid that, then I would never be made fun of and I wouldn't have to deal with it. So, yeah. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Definitely. Wow. Okay. It, se it seems small, but like just hearing with, no, you know, the yeah. conversation, I'm like, and I carried it for a long time. Like, you're so mean. Yeah. You never smile. And I'm like, they didn't know why, but I knew why. Like, I had right. owned that belief system. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Okay. Yes. I remember one day. I don't know. I just remember being a kid. I don't remember how old I was. But I was talking uh, to my folks about something. And then I went into the other room. Um, my parents were in the kitchen doing dishes or something. And then I heard my dad repeating what I said the way I said it. And so I kind of, you know, uh, I, when I heard it, I was like, oh, okay. So let's not talk like that anymore. You know, I'm using proper English and, you know, whatever, correct grammar. Now, shout out to my parents. They they are wonderful people. But it's when I heard that, I was like, okay. So let me start talking like them, I guess, in slang or, you know, not so much. Um, yeah, proper grammar. <laughs> so, right. yeah, ever since. Yeah, yeah, ever since then, I, I, I didn't do it because I didn't want to get made fun of like that anymore. It didn't feel good. But, you know, over the years, I, you know, you, you when you take that internalization and say nothing was wrong with the way you were speaking, you know, you go and you go back and you, you speak correctly, the, the correct grammar, like you were doing. And so, but I understand where, where you're coming from. So, anyone else? Anyone else? I got I one. All of come on, come on, go ahead. Because <laughs> uh, actually y'all's examples kind of just reminded me of it. And I never realized that, I think it was in my subconscious and, and got, it's been stuck with me forever. But when I was in uh, fourth grade, I even remember the class, the teacher, the student, everything. Um, there was this girl that sat next to me and kids would make fun of her and they'd call her ugly and they'd call her this stuff. And one time I remember it was a guy and I, I think she had like a little crush on him because she used to kind of look at him a lot or whatever. I don't know. But she, um, he called her, he was picking on her and then he called her ugly and she started crying. Well, I remember her crying in fourth grade and it kind of stuck with me. Well, in fifth grade, she committed suicide. So Whoa. I remember at school, you know, of course, it, it was an intermediate school so it wasn't a lot of she was in my class so they brought the counselors in and it was this big ordeal right and I remember thinking I hope it wasn't because of like she was continued to get bullied or just made fun of or whatever the case may be and it stuck with me so growing up even through high school because I think high school was probably middle school and high school is probably the worst when it comes to kids bullying other kids I never laughed so I I con I guess it was subconsciously at the time because I was young enough and don't think I really understood but I would never 
laugh when kids would make fun of other kids. And there were actually times where I would start, I would get in a fight. And this is something I told people when I was young, I used to fight a lot with boys, not girls, boys, because they were the ones who would typically tease and joke around with, with, with people. And I didn't realize why I was like that. But the reason now that all this is kind of getting put together, I think it's because of her, because I think that's the reason that she committed suicide because she was probably getting made fun of more than what I even saw in class. Mm. So it, yeah. as, as I was getting older, I was conscious of that and was, I guess I would think, well, if somebody gets made fun of or gets teased, they're going to commit suicide too. And I think I was just afraid mm-hmm. of that it being one thing. So I got in fights with boys when I, they would do that or just, I, I would never be involved because I always kind of had her in the back of me. And I still think of her till this day. I mean, we weren't like best friends or anything, but she was in my classes. So it did affect me and it still affects me now because I'm real sensitive to that stuff and I always have been. So it just made me think putting those things together. I was like, that's probably why it's gotta be because of her. So yeah, it, it's just, yeah good point wow so her her committing suicide actually made you a better person because of how you chose to react to that and how you chose to be a champion for people like that right because i don't think i would have done that i really don't but it affected me because i guess the thought of death and then when you're young and then somebody that you know it's it was scary i think it scared me so yeah yeah you're right though it did that's neat wow and then I, I told you my, my childhood, on top of that, I'm ADD and dyslexic. So I had that, I had to take reading in summer school every year growing up in grade school. And I was 5'1 when I graduated from high school. So I was always the shortest kid in the class. So wow, it's amazing I'm not a serial killer. Wow. That's true. We hope not. We hope not, right? (laughs) (laughs) Honest, I'm not. Honest. Where's my Bible? I'll swear on my Bible. I am not a a serial killer. There we go. (laughs) Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Monica. Anyone else from your child? Go ahead, Ms. LaVon. Hi, I was here. Um, So just listening to everything, um, I can relate, um, especially to, um, hold on, what is her name? I'm sorry. You was just on it. Monica. Um, I, um, my, mine was, um, having a voice, um, because as a kid, when I was growing up, I, I got, you know, teased as well, um, and talked about, but it was mostly from boys. And it was just teased of not being smart or smart enough. Um, and then being home and then, you know, how um, sometimes you can be told you're stupid or dumb or whatever that is. And I had picked up that belief system and I didn't realize it until I wanna say last year. But I, I kind of knew because I went. I won't see. I won't say much, or I feel like I might not come off as smart, or say the right words, or you know, just be intelligent enough or normal 
you know, that was my biggest thing. So I closed myself up and wouldn't speak much or wouldn't, um, you know, say anything or um, speak up for myself. So typically growing up, my sister, who is younger than me, not too young, but she would stand up for me if someone said something to me that was not, um, that would say something to me. So I got to the point where I, I didn't have my own voice, if that makes sense. So even now I, I still battle with that, but I'm not having the problems that I used to, if that makes sense. So yeah. um, I, I tend to sometimes ask others what they think before I actually say it or, you know, um, if I write something, I always, you know, just just um, go to someone else first to, without listening to my own instincts or believing in myself. So um, I definitely relate to that. And as I grew up, since I was being picked on as a kid, when I seen other, well, as I got older, I didn't anymore because I developed this thing where if you say something to me, I'm ready to fight you. So, and it was only the boys because the girls wouldn't pick on the girls, but it was always the boys that would say things, but people would say they like you, but I never understood how can you like someone if you're picking on them. But of course, that was just my thinking. But um, as I got older, I start standing up for other people because I didn't like it. So even when I did stand up for other people, depending on who they were, it seemed like they would... Um, they would be, I want to say, betray me. I'm like, I'm helping you. <laughs> and you want to turn around and get, so I just stop with certain people. I'm like, how can I help you if you're not going to have my back as well when I'm trying to defend you? So I definitely understand how the belief system works because like I said, even though as old as I am now, it's still, um, have a barrier on me that I am breaking free of. And a lot of stuff I am starting to remember that I closed up inside of myself and tried to forget about um, reopen. So um, I definitely, definitely struggled with that and I'm breaking free of that. And uh, thank you for listening. I probably said too much than what I wrote. No, 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 you did great. Oh, not at all. Thank not you, thank all. you yeah. very much. Yeah, yeah. Right on, right. Anyone else? Anyone else? I'm telling you, it, it, it helps when you talk about it to, so you can reflect. Like Monica said, man, I didn't know why I, you know, never did do that. But then I realized it was probably because of my friend that was in, in fourth grade. So I'm telling you, all right, go team, go ahead. Oh, um, oh. just ama okay. amazing what I, okay. what I heard. Um, is it Levant? Levant. Levant and Monica talk about um, the bullying, but and how that led to Monica's classmate committing suicide. I think about, and I, I think I talked to Monica about this today, what I do with youth, what I do as a teacher. And I realized that a lot of my childhood is why I became a teacher. And the students that... <laughs> I'm going to say the students that I attract are the students that the other teachers are like, we're done with them. They're going to go to DAP, which is pretty much like 
the behavioral school or they're going to go to juvenile, the juvenile facility. I've been there. I was that kid. And so a lot of the students that are drawn to me um, are kids who people would say are troubled. But when they're in my presence, I have no issues with them. I can reach them. I can talk to them. They listen. But I'm realizing that a lot of my childhood and the pain that was inflicted on me and the trauma and the abuse, me, I'm showing up for them. It's like what Phil kind of said earlier. Like I became a champion for those kids because of my pain. So it's like my pain had a purpose, whether I realized it or not. And I'm seeing it more and more now as a mother and as a teacher that even though like I had that pain and I had those traumas, it necessarily wasn't even about me. Like it took me cognitively to a different level where I can see things in a lot of kids. Like I've had students and I'm going to give you a quick example. I'm not trying to scare anyone, but I had a student last year who sixth grade, first year of school, we just had like a weird encounter and she just started trusting me just out the blue. And I was like, okay. Um, one day I noticed that something was totally different with her, and I'm like, what's going on? Something is not adding up. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't pry because that's the first thing they teach you not to do, right? You have to let, they have to be comfortable. And so one day she was just crying and eventually she was like, coaching, can I talk to you in your office? And I said, sure. She's like, by yourself. I said, okay. And she started sharing with me that her dad had been um, sexually abusing her since she was about six and she's never told anyone. And she, the way that she let that pain go, I had to ask myself like, why would she tell me that? And she was like, please don't tell the counselors, please don't tell anyone. I don't want my mama to get in trouble because she knows about it. And I mean, for a moment, I saw that little girl and I saw myself, I was that kid, but I didn't have anyone to tell, right? And so I did what I had to do as a teacher, as a mandated reporter, and, you know, he, he got arrested and all of that happened and he got up, you know, he's out the household, but her and I have this bond now. And I finally got to ask him like, why did you eventually disclose to me? And she said, because I knew I could trust you and I knew that you cared. But the only reason I was able to even see that change in her is because I realized I saw myself in that little girl. Like I changed like that and nobody saw, nobody noticed, nobody paid attention. Like nobody came to help me. So your pain, your trauma has purpose. And I just, encourage LaVon to keep stepping out and keep knowing that you're a shining star, you are bright. And sometimes when people see how bright you are, you are and how amazing you are, they're gonna try to dull your light or dim your light. So just keep stepping out and you don't sound anything but intelligent when you speak. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate Many of you are familiar right. with Joyce Myers. Joyce Myers, um, she had that same experience. Can you, um, can, you, can you hear me? Okay. Go can ahead, you hear me? Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, I, want, I, wanted to, I wanted to make a comment. I wanted to piggyback off of one, what you're talking about. And two, okay. understanding exactly where Sharon was just coming from. I said that earlier. Um, but my life, like now I'm listening to everything. And then I would have to say that it makes me look at my life and say, wow my life was completely different. I was the kid that didn't have a problem being out front, but they told me I couldn't be out front. So I was the kid that raised my hand, like we saw yesterday, but Grace said, everybody but Adrian, right? So I used to grow, I grew up like that. So it was always, well, Adrian raises her hand a little bit too much. So I used to get in trouble for volunteering um, I always had the ability to go to the different places and learn the different things, learn the speech and learn 
learn the cognitive stuff and, and, you know, the etiquette classes and things of that nature. Like I actually had the opportunity of, of that. And then when I looked at that, I got old and went to college and I was like, to what I learned. And then I made a decision where it was like, I didn't want to have anything good in my life. I actually chose to not work in the, you know, the, the white, environment the white school district like they were all like why would you leave the number one school district to work in a impoverished city school you know and it was like so i i i i i hear that but as i sit and i try to develop exactly who and what and why i breathe i hear all of the demise and i just hear the hardships that people had to go through and I think by me not going through them it was I just like I felt that pain and and because of that choice then I lived a whole different life where I've been in so much pain I've been in 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 so many down situations where the light does shine but I'm not allowed to shine my light because unfortunately I guess I don't know how to shine my light or they always tell me don't do it this way or then when you do it that way, people don't like it this way. So then they tell you, you can't do it this way. And, you know, so we get here and then they say, you can be yourself and you do it. But, you know, even in still being yourself and doing it, there's hurt in that. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you can't shine there either. You know what I mean? Don't shine too much because if you shine too much, then it's not, you know, you're not shining right, or you're not shining bright, or you're shining in the wrong way, or, you know, so I've always, I've always had this thing, but people have always told me not to. So now people are saying do it. And then I now have to break out of the not to, because I've been told so many times, like, not to, or not like that. Yeah. Um. I understand where you're coming from. Um, the author of the book, uh, he had uh, one of those in his uh, those things in his head. He said he uh, he had a rule that surfaced: "Hey, don't stand out. It's not safe to stand out." And for the reasons that you were saying, um, he was saying that one day he forgot his gym shorts or whatever, and because of that, the head of the school, head guy of the school, made him stand out in the sun for two hours don't know whatever but then he when his dad he said on top of that punishment he called his dad and when his dad got there he told vision that he was expelled from school then he told the dad i'm not really expelling him i just want to scare him and to you know make sure that he didn't do what he did again he said for forgetting shorts and dad was upset he said you don't you don't do my son like that you don't do anybody like that and so i understand where you're coming from uh adrian with my kids in school now the reason too is he when I was saying, hey, not Adrian and not Deanna, I had kids like y'all in school. I know y'all had it. So if y'all had it, then everybody, the other kids who didn't have it, they stay solid. Because they would say, oh, Adrian got it. You don't answer. I don't have to answer. I can sit back and hide in the shadows. I, uh, I know that Adrian and Deanna But I live it, so. my life like that right now. And, I, and how do you break that now? Because even still now. Yeah. Like I yeah. like I don't even want to comment because I believe that I have too much to say, but I've met too many people. 
I've lived too many, you know what I mean? I've come into contact mm-hmm. with too many people, working too many jobs. I've, you know, I've lived a life where you can stack clothes in a, in a, in a basket and I thought it was the dresser and you couldn't have told me that it wasn't anything but, you know? But then to see someone see where I came from, they were like, girl, are you kidding me? Why do you have your, why do you have your clothes in these crates? So I got you. So what I'm going to do, I, uh, we got an expert on this phone and she got a hand up right now. So um, Kiara is going to speak real quick and then I'm going to get that. Amen. Amen. Not real quick, Miss Kiara. I was just saying, go ahead. <laughs> No, that's fine. Can you guys hear me okay? I'm about to go on the yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Um, I just wanted to piggy off what Adrian was saying. I totally understand. And there's a little tweak that you can do. Um, it's nothing wrong with having a light that shines and being out there and being yourself, but you have to be mindful of your surroundings because when you're not, like Grace has given the example, you have people who may be lower thinkers or afraid and nervous and they need Someone has to moderate so that it's balanced because if not, then you are looked at as she's always doing this or she's always doing that. I had to learn that too about being so strong and being so smart because a lot of people didn't like that after a while. So I have to learn when to kind of stand back and that's in my light is still who I am and within me, but I had to make sure that I managed it appropriately so that I didn't make other people feel less than, or I didn't make other people feel left out. So maybe if you just kind of change your perception about that, you know, don't be fearful, but just be observant of what's going on around you. I couldn't stand in college. It will always be one kid that had all the answers and took up all the time. And it was like, yo, everybody's paying and everybody's trying to get something here. You're taking that from them. So it's like, we got to be mindful of those types of things. And that'll help a lot. Just making sure you're very, very observant of what's going on around you what type of people you're around and when it's your turn and you know when it's your turn when you really 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 can't hold it and you really know it's something god is calling you to speak out and say it'll flow naturally but just being more more self-aware all right right. amen amen and that that was it thank you okay all right good deal work on it diligently every day that's it that's it mr daoud Yes, ma'am. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you. I, I just jumped in like 15 minutes late into the uh, into the conversation, but it sounded like we were talking about things that may have impacted us from 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 early, and how that's impacted us um, throughout our lives. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think this is something that I that I um, definitely want to release. Um, because I know it's affected me all my life, and um, a few people know about it, like my mom, and um, well, m- more recently my mother, and and even uh, my son's mother. Because I was finding it difficult to even cope in my my relationship with her, because um, I, you know I would say to her, like you know something is wrong with me. I, I don't know what it is, but I'm I feel like something is not right with me. And she'd be like, "What? Like what are you talking about?" I'm like, "I just I don't feel right." And she has a huge and amazing personality and her, you know, and she's strong and she's bold. And um, this is my son's mom and she's um, very gregarious, very outgoing. And I always used to feel like I was in her shadow, you know, because of that. And it started to impact and, and it impaired uh, my relationship and my perception of, of the dynamics between us. And um, 
and and I always felt like this this is not normal. Like something is definitely up with me. Like I should not be having this issue. You know, I respect a, a strong, strong, bold, independent woman because I was raised by one. And my, you know, and and I seen what my mother had to go through in order to establish herself as a powerful, strong, independent woman coming from a, a kind of like an orthodox Muslim home. And, um, you know, she had to educate herself and put herself through university. And, you know, she, she really had to go through a lot in order to, to, to financially secure us. And I realized that it was, it, it was self-esteem, but I didn't know how deep it went into my self-esteem. And when I started looking deeper and deeper, I realized that it came a lot from academically, it came from my schooling. And I always felt as a kid, first day of school, I just knew I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't cut out for it. I didn't feel like I was ready for that kind of environment and I was overwhelmed. And I remember having like some kind of panic anxiety attack because I would not let go of my mother in the sea of, of kids. And, um, um, and, and, and the teachers were fine for grade one, but grade two was when I started noticing a shift in the, the, the teaching dynamics between pupil and, and teacher. And I remember when I wouldn't do my work this teacher who was really nice would start to, you know, say certain things to me. And then it started off with like hitting you with the ruler and it would happen in front of kids. And so slowly I started to, you know, these were now my friends. So I started to feel embarrassed because now your friends are starting to laugh at you and they're starting to notice this, this defect in your understanding of, um, of, 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 of content or whatever the teacher was, was teaching. And in, in grade three and in grade four and in grade five, that, that problem with the teachers kept on, and obviously this it's not to all teachers, there were one or two good teachers. Um, and from grade three up until uh, grade four or five, like it just kept on escalating, you know? And I remember the teachers, like our class teacher, the teacher with that would be our, our form teacher for the day, um, they, one of them positioned or, or seated me next to another guy was who became a friend of mine. And it was because him and I were the, the students that performed the lowest in the classroom. So whenever, um, whenever um, we would get our test scores or whatever, then, the, uh, you know, our, our form teacher would say, oh, look at, you know, Darwin and, and, and Jose are competing for last place. And we would kind of look at each other and giggle because everybody around us would laugh. So in order to like sort of diffuse the tension between him and I and the embarrassment, we would also kind of like, you know, laugh with each other. And they would call us, they would tell us that we were dancers and that we were weak in certain areas and we would have to go and stand in the corner and pull our ears and go up and down. And, you know, and it was just, and sometimes we, we would have to kneel in front of the uh, black chalkboard. And this was a part uh, aside from like getting beaten with these chalkboard rulers. Um, and it wasn't only us, you know, there were also kids. I, I mean, there were young girls in there that, 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 that were good at school, but they were also, because they were rambunctious and had big personalities. I remember some of the male teachers would try and dumb that down or not dumb it down, but try to dim that. And they would smack them and, you know, tell them to shut up and to know their place. And uh, I just remember school being a vicious place to learn. 
and and here you're seeing these adults who were supposed to be the ones charged with nurturing and cultivating a love for learning and curiosity and here they were acting like dictators and beating us down and you know you just felt like like they were chopping you down like you were weeds and um, by the time I got to grade five I had this teacher and she was she was an elderly lady but she I, I always thought of her as being a little bit vicious because if I didn't do my work she would yell in my face and she would love to chew on these peanuts so as she would be yelling at me these peanuts would be sometimes flying in my face and uh, she would tell me like how stupid I was you know what a dunce I was and how weak I was and this would happen in front of my friends and so one day I was just like for the first time I told my mother I was like mom this is what's happening at school I have this teacher that's doing x y and z and I didn't really confide in my mother all those years about that because I felt ashamed. So I never really opened up to my mom about, you know, how this teacher was teaching, uh, treating me. And my mom only thought it was a separate incident. And so my mom wrote this letter and she came in and she told this teacher her fortune, how dare you speak X, Y, and Z to my son. And eventually this teacher left school. But throughout my, 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 my schooling career, I became impacted by how I felt about my ability to learn and to retain information in, in the schooling environment that I started to view my teachers as some kind of authoritarian, authoritarian sort of figure, which made it difficult for me to, um, to, to, to sort of engage with them or, or to even raise my hand when I, when I didn't understand something. Um, and when I became a parent, and I remember when I was in, and, this, my schooling career obviously was in South Africa. And at that time, corporal punishment was, you know, it was celebrated, like that was a thing, that's how you kept kids in line. And I remember when my son, when he started school, and this was at a Model C school, so it's a semi-private school. And, and even in kindergarten, when, when um, it, by that time, you know, it was only when Nelson Mandela was released, did he, like he actually abolished corporal punishment. He was like, this shit is not allowed. Like, we can't be teaching our kids like this. But even after that, well into my, my son's schooling, you know, I, there were teachers, what it did for me was that it made me more perceptive and more aware of, of kids and of myself and reading them in terms of, you know, if they go to school, how are they, how do they seem when they come back from school? And I noticed that my son wasn't, you know, he just, he just didn't have this look, this colorful look on his face. And when I found out it was one of his teachers had, had smacked him for some reason. And I, I became that parent now I would, whenever a teacher said something, even something slightly like in the wrong direction, you know, I would go and I would, uh, um, uh, you know, reprimand them for it. And it got me to a point where I had to tell myself, hey, listen, like not all teachers are the same. And I need to also, you know, my son is going to come across difficult teachers in his life. You know, there is going to be that, but not to the point that obviously if they are abusive in a certain way, then I need to step in. But it impacted me so much that, I, I was ready to go into school and fight with teachers. You know, it didn't matter what they said or how it, how it was said. And it was all because of this. I started to stigmatize certain teachers or their, their teaching methods. And um, not too long ago, I had a conversation with my mother who was now becoming a teacher, uh, a Montessori teacher. And I said, you know, mom, you know, this is what happened to me. Because she would always ask me like, why, what, what's wrong with, 
like not what's wrong that was another thing people would ask me what's wrong with me i'd be like nothing's wrong with me stop asking me that my mom would be like you know like what's wrong like (laughs) (laughs) my mom would be like what's wrong like you should be doing so well or you know why are you having confidence issues you know what's you know up until the point of why are you letting people like talk to you or, or, or make you feel low about yourself and eventually I was like you know what mom this is what happened in school and this is how it played me and so now it's impacted her to the to a degree that she's like you know what I want to dedicate the rest of my life to assisting both kids and parents in terms of how parents should view the how teachers and parents should view you know, how they cultivate and nurture children in, in, in that sort of learning landscape. And that it's a very serious thing. It's not just the thing of, oh, you've been charged with being a teacher and, you know, you just disseminate information and it's expected that the kids must get it. And if they don't get it, they get left behind, you know. And um, so that's how it's impacted her. My experience has impacted me in a way that I've become more aware of how my son should be, what he should look out for. And um if necessary, you know, step in and make teachers aware, like, hey, like, perhaps if you try this method of, of, because um, he's a very emotional kid. So I would always try and step in and be like, hey, maybe if you use certain kinds of, you know, cues, or if you, or, you know, if you re- relate to him in this way, this is how it might assist his learning and growth. And, but how it's assisted my mother in, in, in the larger aspect is going forward as a teacher, this is, she feels like this is how she, because of what happened to me, she wants to dedicate her life toward how she can obviously teach kids and make parents and teachers more aware of, this is how kids, this is the approach we should try to adopt when teaching kids. And that's my thing. And so it's been, a, it's, it's been so ingrained in me. And I remember by the time I got to high school, I started having fights with like some of my male teachers and you know, these and it's created some kind of blockage in terms of how to um in in terms of any authoritarian figure whether it's my boss or whether it's a you know somebody who is in a higher position it's always made me feel like is this person challenging my ability intellectually or emotionally it's made me become more defensive as a person and i found it difficult or challenging especially especially now um, to to overcome that even in, in you know in in relationships and I feel that by perhaps by talking about it by being transparent about it this will assist me in letting go but also in learning you know just to forgive my teachers and to go back to that place emotionally and 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 find ways of whether it's meditating you know whatever the case may be just try find ways of forgiving my teachers or those people who I perceive as uh, people who bullied me you know so that's that that's my challenge i suppose that i'm i'm grappling with thank you oh very welcome thank you Dawood. mr phil did you have anything you want to say well i remind myself that hurting people hurt people whether yeah. they're adults whether they're teachers whether they're if somebody's hurting, they have a tendency to knee-jerk reactions, hurt other people. And to be above that, and that's what I believe the manifestation is about, how do you process a situation, find the good in it, and then manifest that as opposed to finding the bad, because it's our choice. For existence, for example, and maybe I've sold this to some of you, 
the Christians being eaten by the lions in the Colosseum. Now, how could that be good? Right. You know how? It was God's infomercial. Think about it. There are tens of thousands of people sitting in the seats in the Colosseum, looking down at those Christians, praising God and offering themselves up to God. And thank you, Jesus. And thank you, Lord. And we love you. And thank you as the lions lurked them to shreds. So those people in the stands are going, man, what God do they worship? Because I wouldn't be doing that. I better find out about that God. Now, secretly, though, but I better find out about that God. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a that journey. Us, well, that know. takes us to lesson three. Perfect setup. When you replace the disempowering models of reality with empowering ones, tremendous changes can occur in your life at a very rapid place. And he talks about the mean, the meaning-making machine in your head. It is as if we have a meaning-making machine in our head that kicks out and creates rules about every experience we have. So you, you choose to interpret whatever situations you had through whatever filter, through whatever lens you're looking through to interpret to it. 100%. Person, so, so that's your choice. So mm. if you don't like the way you interpret it, change your lenses. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. You are 100% correctful. And that's what I've been finding myself doing. Like even sometimes when I jump on the call and I relate back to the things that are holding me back, it, it, you know, and after I get off the call, I'm like, you know, why did I... Why did I speak from that place, you know? Um, and, and I realized that it's one of, the, um, uh, one of the three filters of low self-esteem, the story you tell yourself and others, and that I, that I need to find a way to shift that internal dialogue so that it's replaced with something. Because that, that meaning-making machine thing has been something I've been doing all, <laughs> all my, I mean, that's what human beings, that's what we do, right? We to, all do to to, to have a deeper human experience, we create meanings out of things. And out of those meanings, we tell ourselves stories. So I'm trying to find a way to replace that narrative with something more empowering, more positive. And I remember Antonio was saying in one of these low self-esteem uh, courses was that now you need to look towards others who are more knowledgeable to pour into you and from there grow from that. And um, yeah, so it's 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 um, it's a process for me, but I'm I'm starting to see the light in some something just by talking about it, you know. So thank you for this platform because this really helps with helping me to delve deeper into it, and and you guys really help to hold me accountable for that and be like, okay, now you you, you can't keep on looking backwards. You gotta you gotta keep your focus, you know, forward and keep on working towards that goal. So. Being a part of this environment really facilitates with that part of my my realization. So thank you. Yeah, and a lot of us aren't willing to admit that you see in others what you are yourself. You're right. You're right. Um, and, and I hear Antonio. He says it all the time. If you if you get, he says if you get annoyed or irritated with something that somebody does, it's because that what is irritating you about them is inside of you. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Adrian, I saw you unmute your mic. You had something you wanted to share? I was just going to say that's a really, really, really true statement because sometimes the things don't even change in your life. And when things don't change in your life, it's, uh, you, you know what I mean? I guess what I, what was I saying? When I changed my, when God changed my positioning, 
Like, and I would say it, I won't say it like, God, you know, y'all know how y'all are, but it's Thursday. So I'm say God, cause I'm a claim on Thursday. But um, the way that, the way that I, when I changed my position, when he changed my position, when my prayer life changed, when I, when I got, when I got more elevated, I was able to change my perspective because it allowed me to see things from a different perspective. You know, like they say, die to self, I'm gonna go there. You know, they say when you die to self, literally it's so that what's happening inside or for you or to you is not literally happening to you. Like you might not like me, you might say something really mean to me and hurtful to me, but if it was me, Adrian, it would, it would strip me. It would knock me down like always, but because of the fact that I've learned to actually, I, I did that sacrifice. I did the die to self. When people, when people speak bad on me and they do things at, to me or against me, it's like God gives me the ability to see it above it. So it, it, you see it in a different way. So it, it's the same thing, but you see it in a different perspective. You see why things are happening the way that they're doing. But to piggyback off of what Daoud said, it is so true because I live it in my life daily. And as these classes go and I sit and I say, I don't know this or I don't know that, it all formulates in it because I'm like, wow, I think I have something bigger than anything. God, what the hell is going on? But every day, the question in my mind is always answered on the call whether it's a business call or it's this esoteric. But I must say that when you, and when you know you're in the right place, that's what happens. That's what happens. And then when well, you all realize we're all on the same, like Antonio says, as long as you in the boat, when the water rises, we all going up. It's, it's, it's that, well, like Kiara said, she's so right. Every time you speak, Kiara, I hear this calm in the still in you. And I'll be like, God, that's where it's at. Because people say like, mm, you don't know your audience. And I used to really not care about the audience because I just felt like God was saying, throw the seed. Just, it don't matter if it land on hard ground because one day it'll get wet. But just coming in and being you know, being alive and hearing everybody else's stories, it allows it to become very tangible where you do become aware of your surroundings and the audience and the people that you're talking to and the lives that you're touching. So I just kind of wanted to say thank you. Antonio is not here, but I just want to say kudos, kudos to Mr. Phil and Grace because, you know, esoteric training is AAA men in my corner. So y'all keep going. Well, it's if you look for a snake, you'll find one. You know, basically, wherever you are, yeah. you could probably go out at some point within a relatively short radius of where you are. If you were looking for a snake, you'd probably find one. And if you look for the good, you'll find one. So, Adrian, you're showing up expecting to find an answer or expecting to find some encouragement or expecting to find some peace because of your experience with us. And that's why you have it. And I'm sure there's some people that show up and say, boy, those people are just, they talk all this nonsense and they go on and on and they're all into themselves and jeezy, uh, those people are crazy. And that's because that's what they're looking for. So, you know, you manifest what you look for by putting your attention on what you're looking for. Grace, is this an hour long? How long is this class? Um, 
really an hour, hour and a half till about eight o'clock. Okay. Uh -huh. oh, okay. Cool. Anybody else want to chime in before we go to? We're on what lesson three or lesson four, Grace? We we just got on to talking about lesson three with the meaning making machine in our head. Right. Okay. Anybody else have something no. about something that you've turned into a meaning and you've either changed the way it means for your own good or you continue to do it? You'd like some help on how to change. That's a good question. All right. Guess not. Number that four. was a real good question, though, Mr. Phil. I like how you threw that in, and that was a good question. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm more, than, ju I'm more than just I'm more than just a pretty face. That's it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we will move on to lesson four. This is rewrite your models of reality. Extraordinary minds have models of reality that empower them to feel good about themselves and powerful in shifting the world to match the visions in their mind. So that just touched on that, you know, the story that you tell yourselves and others. Yeah. What's the story you're telling yourself and others? And does it need shifting, you know, to match the vision in your mind, you know, or, you know, does your vision need shifting, you know? Um, there's a lot into that. <laughs> wow. So he said, it's all, how you, said it's all how you look at it. Some people look at it like this. Some people look at it like this. It's all how you look at it. That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, he said, Shelly said this, no matter what you do in any situation with your child, ask yourself, what beliefs is my child going to take away from this encounter? Will your child walk away thinking, I just made a mistake and I learned something great or I'm significant? There are many opportunities to practice this wise advice. So, you know, the things that you, you know, that was passed down to you, what are you going to give and pass to your children? You know, um, I, I've seen a lot with, with Mr. Phil and Miss Susan, how they have uh, raised and reared their children on, you know, being those free thinkers. You know, their daughter is at uh, Alabama being a, a great professor at Alabama, their son uh, is in the uh, United States. Is it, is it the Army, Mr. Field? Army, yeah. He's a Master Sergeant. Yeah. Master Sergeant, okay. So you, you, you've seen how, you know, based on, you know, what they're, what they're doing with their lives, you've seen how Mr. Field, Miss Susan have taught their children, hey, you know, you, you, you be free thinkers and think for yourselves and, you know, uh, Trust God and do good. I hear Mr. Phil say that all the time. So I know they taught their kids that. <laughs> Trust God and do good. Mr. Phil, if you want to expound on that, I don't want to. <laughs> well, <laughs> Trust God and do good is, is is um, Joyce Myers. That's her little rap. So, mm -hmm. so I've kind of embellished it. I said, trust God and be your best. Know God and do good. Love God and have peace. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to copy Joyce, so I kind of switched some things around a little bit. So trust God and be your best. Know God and do good. And love God and have peace. And then, of course, we go this year is John 20, 2021. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So that's our job is to take what we've learned and how we process what we're, whatever's coming at us. And did we, did we get to the point of peace? And if we did, how can we help other people get to that piece? We're teaching them what we went through to get to it ourselves. 
All right. And then he talks about talks about there's a nighttime exercise to rewrite your relief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to read that there, Joyce? I sure will. Okay. So it says, as I do so, I ask him two simple questions that I hope will end his day posit with positivity. He's talking about his son. His son's name is Hayden. He says, first, I ask him to think of one thing he was grateful for that day. It could be the soft sheets he's sleeping on, a friend he played with, a conversation we had, or a book he read. I show him that he can be grateful for anything. Second, I ask Hayden, what did you love about yourself today? Mm, now, that, that's good. That is really good. So he asked his son, what are you grateful for for that day? And then what do you love about yourself today? And so you don't just have to ask your kids that. You can ask yourself that too. <laughs> okay? That, that, that is really good. And then it says it's the, the gratitude exercise. Take a few minutes and think of three to five things you're grateful for today. Perhaps it's how the sun felt on your face when you left the house this morning or the music you listened to on your way to work. Was it the smile and thank you that you exchanged with the store clerk or a laugh you shared with some people at work? Maybe it was that special look your partner, best friend, child, or pet gave you. Okay, now don't, now don't sleep on the pets, okay, because the pets are just like kids. They give you lots of love. Okay, just ask Monica, okay? Monica's two, two kids, her pets, those are, those are my nieces. That's what I call it. Okay, I always, I always ask her That's how my right. friends are doing. <laughs> or the good workout tips you got from the trainer at the gym. Or was it just how great it feels to get home, kick off your shoes, and call it a day? So your exercise is a gratitude exercise. Take a few minutes and think of three to five things you're grateful for today. And I guarantee you, every day that you do that, you can always think of three to five different things that you're grateful for for that day. And it doesn't matter what it is because it's what's grateful to you. Don't, and don't, you're, you're by yourself. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not, I'm not just talking to y'all. I'm talking to me too. You're by yourself. So whatever you're grateful for for that day, it's not silly. Okay. You can be grateful to have, be able to have a toothbrush and toothpaste so that you can have a fresh breath for the day. That is, that is something to be very grateful for. Okay. So it doesn't matter how big or how small, you know, it is, you know, it's what you're grateful for for that day. We live better than 95% of the kings that have ever lived on this planet. Access to right. food, access to clothing, access to information, access to transportation, access to entertainment, access to sanitation. If we put 95% of the kings that have ever lived on this planet into your life, we literally would improve the quality of their life. it that is it all right now again you know three to five okay. things that you're grateful for for today go ahead Adrian. this might not be very appropriate but that whole entire point it just remembered like children go where i send thee how shall i send thee i'm gonna send thee two by two i'm gonna like that was that that just whole that whole thing just right there. I just I'm sorry, <laughs> I went right to my childhood moment, but that was the moment of that's how we learned it in like when we were little, like J Lo did, and she took it back to the the song that the the kids sing, like yeah, like wow that 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 whole thing just reminded me of that song. I'm sorry. Right. It's okay. No, you're totally fine. You're totally fine. Next, right. we have it, 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 eternal models of reality. 
Okay, yeah. So it says it's four things. We all possess human intuition. There is body, there is power in mind, body healing. Happiness at work is the new productivity, and it is possible to be spiritual but not religious. Okay, so we all possess human intuition. Um, it says this model of reality replaced an earlier model that all knowing comes purely from hard facts and data. Today, I strongly believe in intuition and use it in my daily life. It helps me make better decisions, know whom to hire, and even helps me with creative pursuits like writing this book. So this is the author of the book, Vision Lachiani. So really, it's, you know, I hear Antonio say a lot. Everything that you need is already inside of you, okay? And so when you get that, when you get when you hear that voice saying, nah, we probably shouldn't do that, you might want to listen, okay? Could be your intuition talking to you. Could be source you talking to you. Uh, when you that. mentioned our kids, this is how we got the definition for your sense of humor. Chad was the, the, the drill sergeant in the Army, the Master Sergeant MP, military police. He was in kindergarten. Uh-huh. And they were talking about your five senses. So Chad raised his hand. He said, what about your sixth sense? And the teacher said, your sixth sense. And Chad at five said, yeah, your ability to read other people's minds. In the parent-teacher conference, <laughs> I went, Yes. I turned to Susan. I said, he can't clean his room, but he's got this one right. And by the way, in Think and Grow Rich, there's a whole chapter called Your Sixth Sense. But she was a great teacher. She said, Chad, what about your seventh sense? And Chad said, your seventh sense. And she said, yeah, your sense of humor. So if we can agree that your sense of humor is your sense of perspective, then it's the combination. It's the distillation. It's a result of all the information that you process through your other six senses. So it ends up being your attitude. So do you have a loving humor? Do you have a hateful humor? Do you have an encouraging humor? Do you have a discouraging humor? Do you have a forgiving humor? Do you have a revengeful humor? You have the power to choose the humor you bring to the world. And we got that definition because Chad at the age of five understood what your sixth sense or what intuition was all about. He picked that up from just listening to us. We didn't consciously teach him that. He just picked it up at five. Wow. Right, chat. <laughs> good deal, good deal. Okay. Number two. Okay, number two says there is power in mind, body, healing. Earlier, I talked about the terrible acne I had as a teenager. So that's what I was telling you all about with vision. He said as he was growing up, terrible acne, and they call, I think they called him pimple face or something like that. He says, with little social life to speak of, I spent a lot of time reading. One thing I read about was creative visual visualization. Creative visualization is the practice of shifting beliefs by meditating and then visualizing your life as you want it to evolve. It's based on the idea that the subconscious mind cannot differentiate between a real and imagined experience. And that is true. What is the name of that movie? The Secret. Yeah. When I was reading that, that reminded me of The Secret. Um, it was uh, a gentleman, I, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he was saying how uh, one guy emailed him and was telling him how at work he would get bullied because um, he, he said he was, he was a gay man. And he was telling, he was telling the gentleman that he emailed because he wanted help on what he could do, saying how he got bullied at work because he was gay. They would make fun of him and pull, pull pranks on him and things like that. And then he was also a stand-up comedian. 
And so as he was, you know, up doing his performance, people would heckle him. And then, you know, as he was walking down the street to go home, people would, you know, bully him and do things and all the kind of stuff. And he was, you know, just telling everything that he hated and how everything was going. And, and the guy was telling him, okay, he said, well, of course your life's not going the way you want to. Look at what you said on your email. Man, I hate this. And this is how they make me feel. And I do that. And he say, you got to change. You got to shift your mind and go and meditate and visualize how you want your life to be and how you want your day to go. And he said, as the gentleman began to do that, he kept doing it every day for so for so long. And he said, pretty soon, the people that he worked with either stopped bullying him or they moved to a totally different part of the company. And then he said, when he would walk home, nobody would bully him. And then he said, on his, and when he would do his stand-up, he got standing ovation because he changed, he visualized how he wanted his life to go. That stuff does work, I'm telling you. I uh, I tell the story all the time of when I was in school, well, being a teacher, and the Apple iPad had just come out, and I am a tech person for real. Well, not, you know, technology thing. I'm a gadget person. That's what it is. I love gadgets. And so when an iPad came out, I was like, man, I'm going to give you an iPad. I don't know how I'm going to get it, but I'm going to get an iPad. And I, every, day I, every day I said that to myself, and I would go to the Apple website and look at the iPad and just, you know, I felt great when every time I looked at it. And then one day one of my coworkers said, yeah, are you going, are you doing the uh, summer uh, program with math, the math summer program? I said, yeah, I heard they give a lot, a lot of um, manipulatives for your students so that they can have hands-on learning. She said, yeah, they're also giving away an Apple iPad. I said, oh, what do you know? So I kept visualizing the iPad, you know, and told, kept telling myself, we're going to give you an iPad and it worked. And I, I tell myself that all the time, and I say, oh, if you did that for the iPad, you could do that for everything else in your life, too. <laughs> so I, I kind of remind myself of those things. Ask, <laughs> and he sh- ask and he shall <laughs> receive. Seek and he shall find. Knock and the door shall be open unto you. That's right. That's it. That's it. That's awesome. Shows? Go ahead. Um, so in, in 24, it's funny because I think about a week ago, I had pulled out this, this piece of this envelope and this envelope was in 2014 I had did a training course a workshop it's called the inside training center and it was to do with you know self-regression going back into your past and you know trying to uh, re- reconcile with yourself and reconcile with your trauma and accept it for what it was and, um, and 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 as a point of reference to help you move on and within that trauma you can define what your purpose actually is so on this envelope which I just pulled out last week there, there's a piece of paper that's stuck on it and it has, um, it has a, a, a narration of a musical called Time. And the narration is by Sir Lawrence Olivier. And there's just like, there's a lot of paragraphs here, but there's just two that speaks to what you guys are talking about. I mean, the entire thing speaks to what you guys are talking about, but there's a line in here, but uh, um, that really resonated with me. In fact, all of them actually did. Um, but so I'll just read like maybe the six lines of it, which, which totally relates to what you guys were saying that your life is an expression of your mind. You are the creator of your own universe. For as a human being, you are free to will whatever state of being you desire through the use of your thoughts and words. There's great power there. It can be a blessing or a curse. It's entirely up to you. For the quality of your life is brought about by the quality of your thinking think about that and when I, I was like boom when when it 
just goes to, to you know, when the guy says, just think about that, it, it just hit home that I'm responsible for my current reality, you know, and um, yeah, there's power in your thoughts, power in your thoughts. All right, good deal. Thank you, Raoul. There is very much so power in your thoughts. Mr. Maurice, I see your hand. Oh, yeah, thank you. I, um, yeah, I can relate to that with you all, uh, what everyone is saying. And the first thing that, that comes to my mind uh, with the power of your thoughts is that, um, you know, when I, I first acquired my first piece of real estate, bought my first home, I was, you know, the thought first, it was the thought and it was conversation first. And, um, you know, it was definitely doubt there. It was like, you know, owning a home was nowhere near, um, you know, any conversation that I thought that I would have. One night I was up watching an infomercial and it was Carlton Sheets. Some of you may remember remember that <laughs> infomercial. And and I, I had read a, a book um, called How to Buy Real Estate When You're Broken Bankrupt. I really wish I could find it. I'm going to look for it and try to find it because it's a lot of really spoke to what what you're talking about, what the conversation is about, about, you know, um, the power of words and the power of thought and, and the words of really you having control over the outcome of things, you know? And when um, I didn't have, and one of the things in the first thing in the Carlton Sheets infomercial, in the very first tape, he said, you know, um, okay, um, first assignment is I want you to pick up the phone, call a real estate agent. And that was powerful because call a real estate agent and just tell them you want to go see a property. And the power in that was that it removed all fear of, you know, fear of unknown, you know, because it was okay. It was that, it was that simple. So I picked up the phone, spoke to a real estate agent and the same agent I spoke to, you know, happened to be the one that ended up selling me the house. But, um, but it was just that, 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 that thought and that action that um, kind of led to, you know, um, that happening. And then every single house, and I would constantly reaffirm it, reaffirm it, you know, every day, it was almost like claiming it, you know, the work, I was working in the house every day, but it was constantly, saying, you draw it up on the board, you stick it on the wall, but this was the actual, actual the actual thing I got to walk past and every day I would claim it and it would give me motivation to go stand up and stand behind a barber chair and get some cuts and do what it, do what I needed to get the you know get get what I needed to get it done but it was that power of that so thanks for letting me share that thank thank you very welcome Maurice yes I'm telling you everything you say walk by yes well good deal good deal all right, all right. The uh, the third one, external model of reality, happiness at work is the new productivity. Most of us are told to work hard, which is true. That's what they tell you. Few of us are encouraged to work happy. In the developed world, we spend close to 70% of our waking hours at work. But according to multiple studies, close to 50% of us dislike our jobs. That's an unfortunate situation for billions of people today. Unless we're passionate about some aspect of our work, a big part of life will feel unsatisfying. 
So if you don't love what it is that you're doing, you know, I know Mr. Phil will tell you, if you're not, if you're not having fun with what you're doing, you might want to switch to something that you, you know, <laughs> that you like doing. <laughs> or switch Mr. your attitude Phil, yeah. the way you look at it. That's it. You can look at it in a different way. So That's right. yeah, we could we could do days on that topic. So let's let's move mm -hmm. on to number four. Okay. Unless somebody else has something they'd like to add. Okay. Right. All right. Well, the fourth one, it is possible to be spiritual. Oh, hold on. Go ahead, Miss Lawanda. Hey, good evening, everyone. I just like to touch on that, and I'm glad Phil. Good evening. You, you hit it on the key. Um, actually, a couple of months ago, that same question was asked about work. A good friend of mine, she said she was having some problems at her job. She says, you know, it's not about the money, but should she leave her job to seek another opportunity just because she was having a lot of stress, not getting along with her coworkers, the workload, or whatever the issue was. So I told her, Stop taking work home. You know, you have your shift. You know what you're supposed to do. Be responsible for your roles, whatever they may be. Then when you clock out, that's your time. Stop taking work home. But Phil, you just said it on cue. I, so um, I challenged her. I said, when you go back to work the next day, challenge yourself. Be responsible for, in your job roles 100%. You know, be honest, we all don't give our 100% every time. So I say do that and see if you, feel the, if you feel the same way by the end of the week. So and ever since I told her that, that advice, I do it for myself as well. And I don't have so much stress, anxiety, difficulties, or, you know, problems with working with others. So that was a good point. You, you, the interest is there, but you also have to pull it without yourself as well to, to do a good job. Because sometimes the supervisors are overloaded too. So we all have to be in the same position sometimes to understand. Yeah, I've counseled people when they leave their office or they leave their place of work to turn around, look at their office and yell, stay. So they're telling all their problems. They're actually verbalizing and telling their problems to stay before they leave. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> okay. Oh, the spoken word. <laughs> okay. Wow. My goodness. Okay. The fourth one, fourth external model of reality, it is possible to be spiritual, but not religious. The traditional model of reality goes like this. I can only be spiritual if I follow a particular religion. But why not consider that our spiritual self exists apart from religious systems and that morality is not dependent on religion or belief in God? Mm. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Go for it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to get this okay. out right now. It's true. I, I agree because it's definitely not it's definitely not religion because what actually happens is you might do something religiously, you know what I mean? So it's like a something that you do every day, but the religion thing is like, you don't need that part. You need more relationship. So that's the spirituality part. That's the connection. You, you know what I mean? When it gets into the religious part of it, that had to be, that's a man part, putting order into something 
you, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I definitely agree with all that. Mm. All right, thank you so much, Ms. Adrian. Mr. Daoud. Yeah, for me, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's about just, be, it's about being human, you know, and you don't have to ascribe to a particular uh, uh, religion to, to be human. And part of being a human is being humane. And when you're humane, you operate from a, from a place of love. And love is not necessary, it's not a religion. You know, so you, and there are so many religious types out there that operate, that don't operate from a space of love, you know? Um, so, so yeah, so it makes total sense that you know, just operating, you can be spiritual and, and, and be respectful uh, without ascribing to a, a particular religion because love is, uh, it's a universal language that all human beings understand. And we were created out of love. So why not communicate from love, you know? Um, so yeah, that's my thing. I said to okay. somebody, I said, I said to somebody, I said, most religions were created by man to control man. And I wish I knew who said it because I'd give him the quote, but I can't remember who it was. He looked at me and said, Phil, all religions were created by man to control man. And I go, ooh, good point. Well, unless we're unless we got something else, I'm going to give you a little teaser for next week. Next week, we're going to uh, we're going to examine your models of reality in 12 basic areas. Now, they have balance. I disagree. I think trying to find career and life balance, you're only going to frustrate yourself. And when something balanced, what's going on? Nothing. It's balance. So I think it's alignment. It's focus and alignment as opposed to balance. But that's my own opinion. But they said balance. I say alignment. Number one, your love relationships. Number two, your friendships. Number three, your adventures. Number four, your environment. Number five, your health and fitness. Number six, your intellectual life. Number seven, your skills. Eight, your spiritual life. Nine, your career. 10, your creative life. 11, your family life. And 12, your community life. Instead of the dirty dozen, this is the extraordinary dozen. And we'll be covering that next week. And then we'll finish out with two tools to rewrite your model of reality. Question one, is my model of reality absolute or relative truth? And then question two, does this reality mean what I think it means? So that's a little teaser for what we'll be covering next week, or hopefully Antonio will be back and he'll be covering it because we know when the preacher's in town, the deacon sits give us down. It again. You got what? it. You're so silly. You're so silly. You oh stepped, my God. You stepped on that. my punchline. Jesus. You got to give it to us again, though. No, you got to give it to us again first. What? What do I have to give to you again? You've got to give us the preview of what we're doing, and then you do it all over. No, Please. that should be enough. You should have enough. That doesn't preach your curiosity. I don't know what. One more time ain't going to make a difference. I didn't hear you. <laughs> well, that should even make oh, you want to come more me. next week. No, it piqued me, but don't, oh, you weren't giving it to us so that we can have it ready for you? No, I was just giving okay, it to you okay. as a teaser. It's just a oh, teaser. No, the, okay, well, I'm teased then. All right, then Please. go ahead with your line because I apologize. When the preacher's okay. in town, the deacon sits down. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, Thank you all for joining us this evening on the Integrity Leadership class. Thank you, Mr. Phil, for being my, my partner in crime. <laughs> we are, we, uh, sorry, we're substitutes, the substitute teachers. That's it. <laughs> yes, we are the substitute teachers. Thank you for joining us this evening. Can Had we, a great time. 
Can I say something? Because you guys were real tough on the substitute teachers the other day. That's why y'all get it. That's what y'all get. Because y'all said the substitute teacher didn't know and didn't know, never know anything about the class. Y'all did very, very well. And thank you. Thank you, substitutes. Y'all stepped in very, very well. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Join us on tomorrow at the 8 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific for our daily meeting with Mr. Antonio T. Smith, Jr. And we look forward to seeing you all again then. Everyone, you can plant better. You can dominate. Everyone have a wonderful evening. Bye, Love guys. You. Thank you. Love you guys more. Love you more. <laughs>